Now then, let's turn back to the book of James, where we have been now for about four weeks. The Lord continues to bring us back here. Uh, whether we march all the way through the book, we'll leave to the Lord. But we, we ask um, weekly, this is where we need to continue and return. And we, we uh, were given the impression uh, from the Lord as he works in our hearts that this is indeed where he would have us to go. I want to reread from verse 1, and we're just going to read down through, the, through verse 12. Verse 12 is a little bit tricky, can be. Um, some place this verse with the previous thought from verse 9, and some believe, and the ESV translators are one of them as they begin a new paragraph, that it belongs with what follows. And, and as I studied that and looked into that a little bit, trying not to get tripped up on it too much, um, it became evident and apparent to me that it stands on its own in many ways. And so we want to look at that verse will be our text verse if there, if we would take one uh, today. But I want to bring you back and put you back in remembrance of where we have been together in this letter before we, we press on and make uh, though little progress uh, from a verse perspective, um, I pray useful and helpful progress. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. But the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. If I had a title today, it would be Blessing in Trial. Blessing in Trial, and perhaps a subtitle would be the unexpected key to blessing in life. Blessing in trial. James begins verse 12 and, and uses this word blessed. What a word for James to use at this particular moment in his writing. Blessed, or happy, or fulfilled, or satisfied, or contented, or so many other words that might be used to describe what he's talking about. But he uses the word blessed, and it's, it's a strange word in some respects for him to use. He's, he's talked about himself in verse 1 as a slave, uh, truly a slave, a bondservant. He's talked about meeting the trials of life in all their different varieties. He's talked about how we so often feel as though we don't have the wisdom that we need in life. He's talked about exalting in lowliness and even being boastful in humiliation. So far, to me, this doesn't seem to be a path that anyone would choose in order to find blessing, to be blessed. Seems like we've talked about everything other than that to this point, as James refers uh, to the Christian life and points out what we are to be doing to this point in our reading of James, it might be easy for us to think uh, that James is merely talking about Christian responsibilities, what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ, our, our obligations as Christians. And he's not talking about less than that. He is. He's talking about what we are to do as Christians in the world today, but he's talking about more than that, too. He's not just giving us a recipe to follow and 
to discipline ourselves and, and to tell ourselves in the middle of our trials, wait, I'm supposed to count this as joy. So we go through some perhaps almost false sense of joy in the midst of that. We, we, we look at James and his writing and we, we don't think that he's interested much in our contentment, our blessedness, or certainly our happiness. I, I doubt it anyway. I doubt we would think that that's top of mind for James. Your blessedness, your happiness. Imagine we would think that it's more about obligation. That we think maybe it's just about uh, the opposite of what we seem to be seeing here when he uses this word and calls it out for us. Blessed is the man. And then he tells us what man, certainly what woman, what person is blessed. Did you know? that James is interested in your happiness, that the Holy Spirit, as he inspired James to write this, that he is interested in your happiness and in your blessedness. Or did you, are you like many, and perhaps as we've read the first 11 verses, that seems like that's the furthest thing from his mind. Are you like so many who think that the Christian life is, is more about drudgery or or brokenness or depression um, and how Hollywood might portray the Christian life and how the media today might portray the Christian worldview. But James and the scripture and more importantly and directly, God is interested in your blessedness. He's interested in blessing you. You might say, how can such a God who who allows trials into our life, and as James said, to, to just think opposite of what the world thinks, that in the world it's the absence of trial that should lead us to blessedness. In the eyes of the world, it's exultation and pride and position and power that should make us happy. Success should bring blessedness. But James has told us, no, it's, it's lowliness, it's humiliation, it's brokenness, it's humbleness it's all of these things that seem so counterintuitive to the carnal mind and heart and today i want to talk to you for a few moments about the path to blessedness which is a an unexpected path it's one that the world doesn't see today that wouldn't ever begin to think that this is where the path to blessedness is this path of trial but it is if you think you individually, you yourself, if you think that the Christian life is one that is supposed to be spent broken and sad all of the time, I, I think that we would see here that in some ways that's not God's intention. You might wonder, though, how can this possibly be? Again, maybe your understanding of the Bible is like so many others, and it's it seems as though God's not interested in your happiness. This image of a God who merely wants your obedience and doesn't, uh, isn't concerned at all with whether or not you are blessed in the midst of that obedience. And I think there is some play and some truth even in that. And yet, at the same time, James is trying to tell us, you and me, how we can be blessed. Some people even look at the Christian life and that drudgery, and, and that almost appeals to them in their personality. And they think that orderliness or the obligations of the Christian life, and if I discipline myself in this walk of the Christian life, that somehow that's the way I want to live, whether or not it brings blessing or not. But James uses the word and he uses it purposely because the Holy Spirit impressed him to use it. And so as we go through our life, and certainly as we go through trials that we're going to look at today, the point, the destination, the hope is that we would find blessing in that, not brokenness only or any of these negative thoughts that people have. But again, sometimes some personalities, they tend toward that. A desire to live properly, we might say, or good in the eyes of the world. And they think that's the path to blessing somehow. And, and I think we know this because in the case of some, 
some people, and maybe we even can be guilty of this at times. We know this is true because if it came down to being joyful in brokenness or miserable in pride, we'd choose the latter. We'd choose to be proud and miserable rather than broken, humble, and joyful. Sometimes there's a key that is needed in order to understand how to get there, and I think trials in our life help us to see it. Of all the people you read about in the Bible, it was the Pharisee who I believe was the most miserable. The one striving every day to live his life according to the law. Striving every day to be in the eyes of the world and others around him, but particularly his fellow religious man, to be meeting the goal and the objective that their religion provided for them. But I also believe that they missed the point entirely. God desires for us to be a blessed people. And as we think about that and we see the world in so much unhappiness, we have to ask ourselves the question, why is that? Why is the world so unhappy? Why, why are most people, it seems, in the world today seemingly so unhappy? Why do so few seem to be living in the blessedness that the Word of God talks about? Why does that seem to be the exception rather than the rule? And I believe it's because we either have never known or we have forgotten what the true path to blessing is. And James tells us what it is, and it's not the recipe. It is not the prescription that the world would give. It's not the path that they would take, but it is the path that God has given The reason so many, and the reason why we ourselves at times do not find this contentment and this blessedness is because I think we have forgotten where we are, where we're headed, where, where we are matters, and why where we're headed matters. Maybe you've never known this path and you don't know the Lord. I want to encourage you today to come to Him and find Him. And Maybe you do know the path and you've walked it for a while in your life, but maybe you've strayed from it for a little while of late. And you don't feel the blessing that James talks about here. If you will grant me today, as we begin, that James is at least, apparently, concerned about your blessedness, your happiness, I'd like to look at how this can be. This one who described himself as a slave, yet blessed. This one who talked about the trials of life and yet in the midst of those trials, blessed. Though sometimes confused and uncertain of what he ought to do by being able to call upon God for his wisdom, to be granted wisdom, he is blessed. And though so many followers of Christ are lowly in the eyes of the world, they rejoice in their present lowliness and they find the blessing in that. Even humiliated and humbled. They find blessing there. I, I want to just look at, here, at this verse. Look at it together. See what we can determine about this path. Or being remaining steadfast in trial. And how that leads to blessedness. And he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. The thing about a trial is you have to endure it. You have to go through it. You can't often go above it, around it, below it. You have to go through it. You've got to get to the other side of it. And the blessed man, according to Scripture here, is the one who remains steadfast under these trials. Remain steadfast is is translated in different ways in other translations. In the ASV, it's translated endureth temptation. ESV, it's remain steadfast. The ASV says endureth temptation, as does the King James. The New American Standard Bible translated perseveres under trial. It's persevering. When you look up the word in, in the Greek, according to Launida, uh, this, this word means to continue in an activity or state despite resistance and opposition. It's to continue. To press forward. 
It's not just getting through the trial that leads to blessing. It is continuing in your faith despite the resistance and the opposition that we face as we go through this life that leads to blessing. Blessed is the man, James says, who endures under trial, who remains steadfast, who faces opposition and faces resistance, yet continues in his faith. faith. We all face all sorts of resistance as we walk through the trials of this life. We face resistance as we go about living this life that God has given to us to live as a mere result of us living on this side of eternity. And we face resistance, don't we? Have you faced resistance in your Christian walk? I would say if you've been walking very long at all after Christ, you've faced resistance, things that prevent you from moving forward and advancing in your walk with God. Things that stand in your way and prevent you from making further progress toward God and His presence in your life. And in increasing in your witness to others around you about God and Christ and eternity that is coming. There's resistance that we face as we come into these trials. And James says if we want to be blessed, we must endure and remain steadfast and continue moving toward God as we face that resistance. Despite an inward desire in our hearts, even at times, we find the world to be a wall of resistance between us and God. There's a wall of resistance often in our lives that prevents us from moving forward. There appears to be little in the world that is set up to encourage our walk with God, and much of it seems designed to be an obstacle to it. So much of the world is not an encouragement to our spiritual walk with God. It is rather a wall of of resistance that prevents us from making further progress. Maybe a little homework assignment for you. As you go about your week this week, you can take this or leave it, but as you go about your week, try to think of everything that you come into contact with, every small challenge and every big challenge and everything and the facet of your life, I want you to think about them. And as you go through your days this week, consider all of the things that serve as resistance to your fellowship with God. Think of them and see them and think, is this something that is resisting my advancement in my walk with God? And if it is, then we realize and understand that in that we must remain steadfast. We must continue to press on. The closer we get to God, by the way, the more we're going to notice those things that are resistance that maybe perhaps before we've not noticed. Things that keep us back from God that we once never even noticed begin to loom large because we realize what they are. They are resistance to our progress with our fellowship, in our fellowship with God. And perhaps you've grown so accustomed to being a certain distance from God that you believe you're as close to God as you can get. Maybe... Say that again. Maybe you're so accustomed to the resistance of the world that keeps you and prevents you from walking closer to God. Maybe you're so accustomed to being at the distance that you presently are at before God, you think that's as close to God as you can get. But I want you to begin to see and maybe spiritual eyes to open and see that the resistance that we face in this life to our progress toward God need to be seen for just what they are. Things that prevent us from growing closer to God. We fail, though, at times to see the reason we can't seem to get closer to God is because of the resistance that, it, that is just in the world and the resistance that's caused by our own sin. This condition begins to feel normal. We begin to think it's normal and we believe we've gone as far as we can go in our Christian walk when in fact we've merely come up against resistance. And it's time to be steadfast under trial. It's time to meet that resistance with prayer and study and fellowship with God's people. 
It's just time to see the resistance for what it is. Now, if it can be said, and I believe that it can, that the very definition of blessing is to be near to God, I believe that can be said, that the very definition of being blessed is to be in the presence of God. If that can be said, and again, I, I think that it can, then it stands to reason what James is saying here, is, doesn't it? That the blessed man then, who is one who remains steadfast, who keeps progressing, who keeps moving toward God in the face of opposition and resistance. When he comes up against that wall of resistance in his life, be it at work, be it at leisure time, be it in whatever circumstance of your life, the one who is blessed is the one who is most close to God, and that one continues and is steadfast under trial when he's being resisted in his life. He's the one who remains steadfast in the face of that resistance. He continues despite the resistance he faces. He or she again keeps praying when there seems to be a wall of resistance between him and God. I don't know that you've ever been there. When there feels like this wall of resistance that's keeping you back somehow from God, and in your heart you just long to be in His presence once again, to feel His comfort, to feel His guiding hand, to just be with Him. In a world that has rejected Him, and in a life that continually resists you, and your desire as a Christian to just be with God, that there's a desire in you to continue and to be steadfast in that prayer. And so you continue to pray, and you continue to knock on God's door, and you continue to cry out to Him, even when, and especially when, you face some wall of resistance in your life. This blessed one that James talks about, he keeps reading the Bible when he can't seem to gain from it what he once did. He keeps striving to get closer to God despite his inward sense that he's making no real progress. He keeps at it. He keeps going. He bears up under trial. He continues, though he is met with resistance seemingly on every front, whether he turns north, south, east, or west, up or down, it seems there's resistance all around, but he keeps going. He keeps pressing. This is the path to blessing. This is the one who will be blessed. He keeps at it under that resistance. In the very moments he's facing the resistance, he keeps going. He does not stop and wait for the resistance to be removed. And I want, to, I want you to hear that. This blessed one, this blessed child of God, the one trying to follow after him, is blessed because he remains steadfast under trial, which when we understand that rightly, I think that means we do not sit down and wait for whatever is resisting us to be taken away. We keep pressing into it and trying to press past it with the help of God. How many times have we? How many times, how many times do we waste our life and the days of our lives waiting for God to remove some resistance that he's calling us to press into and press past? God, I can't serve you because I've got this going on in my life. I can't let go and follow you where you're leading me because I've got this other thing going on. I've got this resistance, God. Remove that resistance and then I'll follow you. But that doesn't appear to me to be what James is saying about the blessed man. The blessed man is one who, when he meets the resistance, the blessed young woman is the young lady who, when, they, when she meets resistance, she continues and she remains steadfast. She bears up under that resistance and cries out to God to help her to press through it. Waiting for the resistance to be removed is not what James says here. In fact, I think to wait for the resistance to be removed would be in a sense exactly the opposite of what is meant here. How can you remain steadfast in the absence of a trial? In the absence of the resistance? In the absence of someone pushing against you? In the absence of a wall between you and God? How can you press on through that? If you feel a wall of resistance that seems to stand solidly between you and God, I exhort you, I call to you, I tell you, and I called myself, Exhort us all to continue in the face of that resistance 
to keep striving for God. Do not instead determine to stop pressing on and wait to see if the thing in your life that is presently preventing you will be removed. This is the advice Paul gives to the Philippians. I want to read this somewhat. It's not terribly lengthy, but several verses here from Philippians that you're familiar with. Because Paul is talking about the same kind of idea when he says to the Philippians in chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not as though I had already obtained this, or am already perfect. It sounds like He met resistance. Not as though I'm already there. There's resistance in the mind of Paul. But he says, I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing on, remaining steadfast in the midst of opposition and resistance. Many a would-be follower of Christ gives up in the face of resistance when that is the very moment that they have the opportunity to press on and obtain a spiritual ground upon which they have not yet walked. Many of us have done so at some point in our walk with the Lord. We've, we've given up in the face of that resistance, even if it was only for a time. But it is, at, it is a moment of spiritual awakening, I think, in some ways. It's the only way I know how to, to describe it. The first time we experience this resistance after salvation. It's kind of a, a wake-up call, in a way. At the moment of conversion, we can't imagine anything, can we? When God saves us, we can't imagine anything separating us from Him. And, and we'll go to the ends of the earth if that's where He wants us to go. We, we gave up all. We, we, we surrendered our hearts to Him. I surrendered my heart to Him that day when I was 11 years old. And He became my God and I was His and He was mine. And in that moment, there was peace and joy, much of which I had no ability to even comprehend in that moment. But as the years have passed and I look back in that moment, but just that presence with God. And we can even remember after, the, after that time, moments when God blesses when he he's had, his presence is with us and we begin to see with spiritual eyes much more clearly maybe than we'd seen before and we say god you can have it all i will go where you send me i will do what you have me to do i will say what you have me to say and they press through the resistance of the world and they they can't imagine any kind of resistance that would convince them to stop striving after god But no doubt, a young David, standing victorious over the dead body of Goliath, would have never imagined that some years later, as an older man, he would be bowing in repentance before God, having murdered a man and taken his wife to himself and watched his infant son die. No doubt, he, as that young man, would never have imagined such a day. But resistance comes our way. It's inevitable. It comes to us in all sorts of ways. We begin this Christian race with an energy and a vibrancy that feels in the moment inexhaustible. We feel strong in the Lord's presence. We we feel like we can face the world and Satan and all his angels and win the day because God is with us. And that's true. We read our Bibles in those times and we're like 
sponges. Its words penetrate our hearts and equip and encourage us like nothing that we could imagine. We just simply have to open the book and we read a few verses and we just have to stop because of what God has said in just a few words overwhelms our hearts. And again, just like sponges, we take God's word into our heart. We can't get enough of it. We're listening to it on our drives. We're listening to to music that encourages our heart toward God and pushes us away from the world. And then when we meet resistance, and even in those early days, perhaps we just fly right through that resistance because God is so near to us. But then trials come. Some resistance between us and God plants itself and a wall comes and appears almost out of nowhere. And James says, if you want to be blessed, you need to press on. You need to figure out a way through it. You need to keep reading your Bible. In those early days when it was so precious to us, and I remember when I was saved, 11 years old at that church campground, that morning in that, in that chapel service, as, as that preacher spoke on John 3.16, and I remember bowing, and I remember the praying and thinking I'd been saved, and yet in that moment I surrendered to Him, and He saved me, and I felt peace. I remember that very afternoon we were studying Scripture. It was Revelation, so I was a young man, and it was interesting anyway. It was Revelation chapter 13. I remember it to this day, because all of a sudden that word meant something so different to me soaking it up and just reading it. And and even to this day, when I'm where I ought to be, this book continues to have that kind of impact because it's God's Word. The one who saved me, the one who came here to bleed and die for me. In those early days, without the resistance that that you will experience later, we enjoy little more than being with and fellowshipping with believers who love God too. It's one of the chief joys of our life. To be surrounded by others who are living on this side of eternity, but anticipating the one that is to come. And we're soaking up scripture and we're loving to hear God's word preached. And even when we feel corrected, it's a loving correction because we want to to move toward God. But soon the wind begins to blow against us. The winds of this world or the heat of the day arrives or a weakness in the knee or the ankle begins to resist us. And we, we find that running, we find running to be much more difficult than it was when we started. We feel the resistance of the world. We then look out and it feels like there is far more distance to go than we have come. In these moments, we can even begin to think there's no way I'm going to be able to finish this race. There's too much resistance in the world. Maybe family that's pushing against me. Family that's not really even pushing against me yet, but it's just resistance. It's just in the way. What is in the way in your life between you and God? What is resisting you? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be blessed? And press against it. Ask God, and how you do that is to be on your knees in prayer continually in His Word, fellowshipping with other believers and pressing forward and remaining steadfast. In these moments, we, we just feel awakened to the resistance that's in the world and everything in us in those moments, it seems to be screaming for us to just stop. Kind of like a runner when he meets the wall on a marathon. Just stop. Every fiber of his being cries out to him to just stop running. In a similar way, spiritually, everything just says, just stop. Put down your Bible. Stop attending church. The first thing on our minds in the morning is no longer God and his will for the day. And the last thing on our minds is no longer thankfulness to God for the day and confidence and an assurance in His watchful hand over our lives. In short, we stop moving forward. And because of that, we come short of the blessing James talks about that is available if we would just remain steadfast under the trial. Now, a quick word here, and you can take it or leave it. When you face times like this, don't be overcritical of yourself. Satan loves to kick you when you're down. He loves to kick you when you're down. Don't 
allow him to do that. Don't compare yourself to your past self. And don't compare yourself to what you hope might be your future self. This is not the advice we heard from Paul when he says, I forget what's behind. I'm pressing forward. Instead, just keep pressing on in whatever way you can. Keep moving toward God even if your pace slows. It's fine. Keep pressing on even if there's a limp now in your gait, but remain steadfast in your trial. Now, not only is there that resistance, we want to just briefly mention the fact that there's sometimes not just resistance, it's outright opposition. If resistance keeps us from progressing, opposition pushes us backward. Opposition causes us to lose ground that we once stood on spiritually. Have you ever gazed ahead of you spiritually and seen ground and a land that you used to walk on in fellowship with God that today you're not there? Something may be came into your life that was a resistance to your fellowship with God and and it stopped you. It didn't oppose you necessarily. And this is where wisdom comes in in our life. If something is is resisting your fellowship with God, but maybe you can say, it's not outright sin. It's not a sin that what I'm doing here, but is it resisting your progress with God? Then be spiritually attuned to that and be spiritually wise and realize that it is resistance and that if you stop, the next thing you can expect is opposition and to be pushed backward. Know this, the enemy is not content with you just stopping your progress. That's where he has to start. But that is not where it will end. Once the enemy finds your progress has halted, he will begin to do all he can to push you backward and away from God. And in these moments, the advice is the same. Remain steadfast. Satan, the world, our own hearts... They'll begin to beat us up with the declarations of our own failure in these moments that we need to be careful about. We'll look around and everywhere we look, we will see defeat. I know this because I know this by experience. We'll feel our hearts cold toward God. Our witness to those around us largely absent. We'll feel the love that we once felt for God wane at least a bit. And we will feel defeated and cast aside. And that opposition pushes you backward. Again, the opposition of the enemy, the opposition of the world, the opposition of our own sin, as it pushes us backward once our progress has been halted by whatever resistance we met, what you and I must do in these times is remain steadfast to find your inner i sorry if this is silly to you but this is the image that came to mind find your inner spiritual rocky balboa against ivan drago keep getting up keep getting up when your enemy and all who are watching think you ought to just stay down on the mat You've been kicked aside. Resistance showed up in your walk with God. You came to a halt and then the enemy came around and he circled in with his forces or something else in life began to not just merely resist your progress, but push you back and then knock you down. Find your inner spiritual Rocky Balboa. Keep getting up. Do this under the trial. In the midst of the trial, isn't that what James says? Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. In the very midst of it, the very times that the opposition feels the most fierce, don't just wait for him to walk away and to stop throwing punches. He never will. The enemy never will stop throwing punches. And yes, every time you get up, you risk being hit by one of those punches again. But keep getting up. Just get back up. Time after time, and cry out to God for help. Get back up when everything hurts. 
when every fiber of your being is hurting because of the resistance and because of the opposition that you face in your walk with God. Get back up when it all hurts. Just keep getting back up. Get back up and ask God for the help that you need. Get back up when you can't see how victory in the Christian life will ever be possible. Get back up when the crowd and your enemy is taunting you with your apparent defeat as you lie there on the mat. Remember that the enemy will always work to make you think you are defeated before you actually are. If you believe his lies, you're going to be much easier to keep on the mat. Don't believe them. Yes, maybe you've fallen. Maybe you've allowed the haymakers that Satan can throw at you in life to knock you down. Maybe that's happened. But commit to endure and to remain steadfast under that trial. Keep Scripture close at hand. Hide them in your heart. You don't memorize Scripture to impress people with your memory or your spirituality or your holiness or your Christianity. That's not why you memorize Scripture. You memorize Scripture because in the moment you need it most, when you're lying on your back after being knocked down, that's when it is the, the, the thing that will help you to get back up. Memorize these Scriptures that give hope in the midst of, of difficult times. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54 through 57, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ down and broken facing resistance and opposition you can cling to that verse and say I am victorious in Christ we'll remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 when he says don't let your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me I've told you I'm going away to prepare a place for you and I'm doing that because I'm coming back to bring you back to be with me repeat these verses in your mind keep them ever near to you and as they have said when you don't feel like praying and you don't feel like reading the word of God that's probably the very moment when you need to do both the most when you're down and facing these times of resistance I need to hasten Grab a hold of those scriptures. But not only that, ask other believers for help in those times when you're down. Ask other believers for help. There's nothing like a fellow believer who comes by and through their prayer or their words of encouragement, reach down and lend you a hand and help you back to your feet. Nothing like that. There's nothing like that when you're the recipient of that help. And I don't know that there's anything like that when you can be the one to provide it. In the midst of the resistance and the opposition, remain steadfast. Frustrate Satan like Rocky frustrated Ivan Drago. I remember what he said. He's like a piece of iron, I think is what he said in the movie. Frustrate Satan. Just keep getting up. You, you've lost, enemy. Jesus Christ has conquered you. His empty tomb proves it and shows it. And I am his and he is mine. And then you ask other believers to come around and remind you of these things. There's nothing more encouraging than that when you're down and broken. And by the way, again, take this or leave this. There's also nothing more discouraging, I think, in those times than a fellow believer who, who looks at you with disappointment and dismissal. We've all been on the mat. We've all been there. Let's help our weak brother get back up on his feet. <clears throat> we face that resistance in our own life. We face the opposition. Now, he moves on and says, when he has stood the test, and I, these will be these comments are going to be brief. But I, I want I want you to understand what's at work here and what's at play 
when he has stood the test. The idea is expanded, what we've been talking about. James expands on it. When he has stood the test. King James says when he is, when he is tried. The American Standard, when he hath been approved. The New American Standard, once he has been approved. And here in the ESV, when he has stood the test. The sense here is that the promise that is coming, that one is going to inherit the, the crown of life and be given the crown of life, it's after the trial. That's the sense to me. It's afterward. To remain steadfast under trial, one must get through the trial. You don't get the trophy until you've finished the race. You don't get the money until you've won the match. You don't get the reward until you've completed the task. The same ideas are present here. This is where many of us, though, can lose sight of things. In the midst of our trials... In the midst of the resistance and opposition that we face, we want the reward. But that's not how James presents it. You have to get through it. You have to remain steadfast under it, in it. And once you've been approved, once the trial is over, once the specific trial you're facing has been accomplished in your life, then God says, I'm going to give you the crown of life I believe, again, this can be applied to individual trials in our life. You've got to get through it. And then God's going to give you that that you need. But I also believe it's bigger than that. I believe ultimately it is applicable to the fact that our entire earthly life is a trial that must be endured. All of it. There's going to be resistance and opposition Every day of our life on this side of eternity, if you don't recognize the resistance and opposition, I'm afraid to tell you you're probably on the mat. That's the only time that you're not going to feel it. Get back up. Realize and understand this broad application that this whole life has been given to us to remain steadfast life here is going to be attended with trials we all know this big ones little ones daily ones occasional ones expected ones surprising ones ones we understand and ones that we don't trials from within us and trials from outside of us the blessed man is the one who remains steadfast through them in his life one who faces the resistance and opposition with a calm steady but unrelenting faith in God to do just what he said he will do. This one faces the resistance and opposition of the world with courage and joy and fearlessness that baffles the world as he gets up time and time and time again. This is what James is talking about. This path to blessing is to remain steadfast in the midst of these trials. This one who faces these trials in some ways, at least with an inward smile, if not an external one, and an inward anticipation and a heart warm with love, love for God and love for his fallen man. I ask you and encourage you to remain steadfast under this, and I'll close with these words. He will receive the crown of life once all of this is done. The hope, the blessing, here it is. Why should you be blessed in trial? Because if you, when you endure it, when the resistance and the opposition is overcome, when this life is no longer where you are, but you have left this side of eternity and have entered into heaven, that one who remains steadfast under trial is blessed because he is awaiting him the crown of life. He is thus, or she, he or she is like a king or a queen. He's been given a crown. He's the victor. The world can't see it, but he's the victor nonetheless. He's a prize awaiting him beyond the world's gold and silver. It is a crown of life because it's life everlasting. He has traded the crown of death for the crown of life. And despite all the resistance and opposition that he faced or she faced here in this life, he or she knows his victory is assured and his reward is life eternal. With no more resistance or opposition in the sense in which we experience it today. 
As you face your trials, I ask you and beg you to remain steadfast in them. Keep your eyes upon God. When you're, when you're down for the count and looking up from the mat, you are well positioned to remember where your help comes from as you look up. Remember that God has promised to you, if you know him, this crown of life. And remember that we can be steadfast in our trials because God is steadfast in his love. Psalm 139, or excuse me, 109, verse 26 says, Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. We can rise up in our trials because the Lord rose up from the grave. We can rejoice as kings when we feel defeated because the King of kings and the Lord of lords has already secured the victory. We can keep on going when we feel like giving up because the battle is not ours to win. It is ours merely to fight. To fight the fight God has given to us, you and me, individually to fight in our lives. I, I think we far overcomplicate things in the Christian life at times. I know I do. It's ours to strive after God and godliness. It is God's to win the day. He does and he will. We can remain steadfast under trial because a promise made by God is a sure promise. Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I close with this. God is the same before your trial ever started. He was God before it started. God is the same in your trial. He's the same God in the midst of it. God will be forever God after your trial ends. God knew your trial was coming. God knows the trial you are facing. God sees the trial coming your way. And so trust him with everything. And remain steadfast under trial. Let's have some more.